you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you to you too, Lisa. Well, good morning, City on Hill. How are we? We're good. Good to be back with you. Many of you will know, last week I was able to be at City on a Hill Ballarat, our newest church. Not yet launched, but gathering a core team. And so it was great to be there, uh, and I sent our love to them. You guys were well served by uh, Joel Deacon from Wollongong, and today we're actually joined by City on a Hill Wollongong. We should give a warm Melbourne East welcome to City on a Hill Wollongong. Great to have you guys. They're joining us because apparently Joel is sick, so brother, please uh, do rest up and get better. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in to today's topic. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you tell us that your word bears fruit in us. And so we pray that as you sow the seed of your word into our hearts this morning, Lord, would it find good soil? Would it find soil that that it might go down deep and bear fruit to 30, 60, 100 fold, as the parable tells us? Protect it from the evil one. And use your word today, Lord, to change us and shape us and gift us a life of fruitfulness and faith in Jesus. And so to do that, Lord, make Jesus big in our hearts today. Make Jesus big in our lives tomorrow. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that all God's people said together, Amen. Well, today, as Lisa said, we are in week three of our series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. Uh, I hope these first couple of weeks have been thought-provoking for you. They certainly have been for me. Last uh, Yesterday afternoon, I was out for a run, and I came dangerously close to a couple of crows, and I had the series in my mind, and so I said, not today, Satan, not today, and I kept on running. Uh, speaking of running, though, that's, that's where I, I wanted to start. You know, there are two types of people in the world, those people who love running. And those people who love that it's other people who love running. Uh, It is uh, some a love and some a hate. Uh, Personally, I have had a love-hate relationship with running in my life. Many seasons of my life, I have been sedentary and unashamed. Is anyone with me there? Uh, But there, more recently, uh, have come to love because I've developed the rhythm, the, the habit of running. And that enjoyment really started last year when, when the family and I, we went on a road trip up to the Gold Coast, and a couple of months before going, I saw that, hey, the, the, the Gold Coast Marathon Festival weekend is going to be on while we're there. And just a, a secret into the lives of runners, you know, you can actually get all the plaudits and all the acclaim of, of, of running 
by running half a race because I signed up for the half marathon. Like, you, you can do the half marathon. You get pats on the back, you get the floor. You, you get all of it for running half the race. And so uh, when I signed up, there was a problem, though. The problem was that my fitness wasn't quite there. I, I, I could not sustainably run for that long. The, the fruit of the formation of my physical life did not bear the perseverance to be able to run 21 kilometers yet. And so I needed a plan. And so I actually had the plan that I used. You know, you can pay a lot of money to buy plans. I Googled a free one. Uh, and so I found just a single image uh, online and I used this plan. And this plan essentially set out my life for two months of last year. It told me that on Monday, I needed to run 6.4 kilometers at about half pace. And then on a Tuesday, I needed to do strength training. And it's not so much about the detail of the plan. But the big idea here is that I had a plan. And amazing thing happened when I followed that plan. I got faster. I got fitter. I was able to finish the race, or, or half the race, as it, as, as it may be, the half marathon. You know, last week, Joel was up here, and he, he talked about us having a, a rule of life. And really what we're talking about in this series is that actually you and I need a trading program for not just our physical life, our spiritual life. And the Bible itself says this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uh, is telling Timothy there, his protege, he says, keep yourselves from, from irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while physical training is of some value, thank you, godliness is of value in every way. And the Greek word there for train, there's two, two kind of instances of, of the word train, is, is gymnazo, which is where we get the word gym. And so what Paul's saying is that just as you might train yourself physically and get faster or, or, or fitter, there's an expectation that, no, hey, also you should, you should train yourself spiritually. That's really what we're doing here. We are on week three of seven weeks of, of trying to show you how you can formulate and develop your own training program for your spiritual life. And that as we do, our souls might get fitter. Our hearts might, might get deeper. And we might be able to align our lives more and more with who Jesus has a vision of our life to be, who Jesus wants us to be. You might have seen in recent years, I think it happened during COVID, there was this viral video uh, of a, a prima ballerina uh, who uh, had aged and, and developed Alzheimer's. Her name was uh, Marta Gonzalez. And she had been a ballet teacher for much of her life after having her own ballerina career. Uh, and it was this, this beautiful video because it's this beautiful sight where she, she's kind of just sitting there, lifeless, and she's, she's got Alzheimer's. She's not able to kind of remember the, the people, the family, memories, kind of any share in any kind of nostalgic moment. But then she's got headphones on and they press play on Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. And suddenly her head lifts and, and she comes alive. And she starts doing all the, all the things. You know, I won't do it now, but you know, she starts doing all, all the movements that look just like she did back in the 60s because... The rhythm of her whole life, that, that when she had lost everything else, the rhythm that she'd been walking in her whole life were deeper than the synapses that weren't there yet, weren't there again uh, in her brain. And that, that, that's, that's a great truth that you and I need to recognize, that the habits, the rhythms, the, the rule of life that you and I walk in, when we lose everything else, it will be there to form us. It will be there to be what is shaping us. And so the question is, 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 are we going to have a healthy one? Because we all have one right now, whether we're intentional about it or not. Is it going to be healthy? Is it going to lead us into life and 
flourishing and fruitfulness for Jesus as he intends. And so that's what we're doing in this series. And while these first couple of weeks have been introductory, today we begin uh, the first set of of the next four weeks of, of diving in to the practices or the tools that are there to help us add to our training program, add to our rule or rhythm of life so that, the big idea, we can structure our lives around abiding in Jesus, as he says. And so today we're going to look at the practice of examination, specifically examination and encouragement. And so do join me in Matthew chapter 7 if you do have your Bibles with you. And we come to one of Jesus' most well-known sayings. Uh, For context, in Matthew 7 here, Jesus is is near the, the latter parts of his famous Sermon on the Mount. He's on a mountain and he's given a sermon. He is telling his disciples this vision for, for their moral life, their life together as God's people. And he's a vision that, that's really built around reframing, refreshing, recasting God's law that was originally given to God's people through Moses. You see, the religious elites of the time, the Pharisees, they'd, they'd taken God's law and they'd, they'd misused it. They saw it as a job description to try to get into God's good books. They they saw it as a way to work up their religious social hierarchy by proving themselves as as better than other people. And Jesus comes and says, no, no. He he wants to recast it. He wants to refresh it and and, and show them that actually, it's all about the heart. It's about a life that should flow naturally from a heart that has encountered God's grace. See, the religious leaders at the time seemingly had no idea, totally unaware about the the position of the heart. That's why Jesus tells them that they're whitewashed tombs. But on the outside, they look pretty. They look like they've all got it together. And on the inside, they're dead. And so Jesus comes to refresh and recast the law of God. And so it's fitting then that he goes on to, to point out to these people who are listening in as he tells his disciples, point out to them this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out that speck of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, it's a famous passage because often we just read that first verse and we stay there. Judge not. But notice that Jesus isn't really saying that we should never judge, never discern, never assess how we feel about the way that other people are behaving. Now, that's not the main problem. The problem is when we do that without ever considering our own behavior, our own attitude, or the state of our own heart. And so Jesus says, hypocrites. Now, first, take, take the giant log that is in your own eye Take that out, and then that'll help you help others take the speck out of their own eye. You know, one of the the things that my heart is an expert in is able to be able to spot and point out the flaws in other people. You probably, you find this too, you know, it's actually so common and so universal that psychologists have come up with the term for it. It's called the fundamental attribution error. It's that, that, that we're so prone to see our own falls and failings and when we disappoint people, you know, it's because of the environment, it's because of the circumstances, it's because of maybe other people. But when other people fall short and disappoint us, well, it's because of their character. It's because of who they are. And this happens because our, all of our hearts, they come with this free law firm attached to them. 
See, when I do the wrong thing, when I don't fulfill my responsibilities, it's very easy for my inner lawyer to jump to my defense. It's a defense lawyer in that case. You know, I meant well, my heart was in the right place, but I'm just under so much pressure at work that, that, that I lashed out because it's the pressure. It's the pressure that's upon me. Or, uh, you know, I'm sorry I was late, but you, know, you should have seen the traffic. It, the, the traffic was, was terrible. Now, I remember in high school, my friends and I, we got so used to blaming the environment for our, our mischief that I remember one day where, where my friend had, had, had used excuse after, he'd run out of excuses, and so his excuse for not having homework that day was that his mum had aided it. But what happens is when we think about other people, our defence lawyer turns into the prosecution. And when other people have fallen short of our standards for them in their life, hey, they're late, but it's not about the traffic, it's because you're an unorganised person. And if you're disappointing or you're offensive or you, you lash out, it can't be for any other reason than you are a jerk. That's the answer. Well, Jesus here, he, he tells us, that he wants, to turn, he wants us to turn our inner lawyer into an inner woodchopper and start by cutting down the giant forest of personal failings that you have in your life instead of picking up the tweezers and putting it under the microscope, other people's failings. And for our purposes today, notice what is, is blindingly obvious in the text. We might pass by it. Jesus expects us to be aware of our own behavior, our own attitudes, our own sinfulness, aware of the state of our own soul and its shortcomings. And that that awareness might bear the fruit of humility so that we might actually bear fruit in helping other people. And so this is where examination comes in. Jesus expects us to have a healthy sense of self-awareness so that we might be able to minister to other people. Now, Jesus isn't, isn't the only one who expects this. In recent weeks, just at the end of uh, the last chapters there of, of 2 Corinthians, which was a series that we went through for, for 12 weeks and wrapped up very recently, Paul concluded by turning to the Corinthians and saying, examine yourselves. Test whether you are in the faith. In Galatians, Paul says a similar thing. He, he tells the church to keep watch on yourselves test your own work because he wants them to have a right estimation of themselves. Now, speaking, speaking of running, uh, sometimes when I, when I go for a run now, you know, I come home, the endorphins are flowing. You've got to, got to kind of have, have time to, to cool down. And so uh, when I come home from a run, I usually get, get caught up kind of doing something else. You know, I'll start playing with the kids. Uh, I'll potter around, around the garden. I'll, I'll be cooling down on my own somewhere. And, and when I do, it means that, that, unfortunately, inevitably, I stay in my running gear a little bit too long. And so, inevitably, you know, an hour or two after I've come home from a run, you know, I'll be walking somewhere in the house and, and just passing by, you know, my, my, my clean and hygienic wife. And she'll kind of, you know, have a whiff and think, Nick, honey, you stink. I, you know, I, I think you need to have a shower. And I go, really? Really? I, I, I don't know if it's me. Is it, is it you, Jules? I, 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 I can't smell it. And so in reality, I've kind of, I'm like walking around the house in this, this like invisible cloak, this invisible bubble of body odor, and I'm completely blind to it, completely immune from, from it, like a fish in water. I can't actually see what is going on around me. And actually, a lot of us are the same, but not about the, 
the, the body odor. A lot of us are the same about our character. A lot of us are in the same boat about our emotional life, about the, the state of our, our heart and our soul and our relationships and our communication and, and how we come across to people, our presence before them. We're, we're, we're walking around doing life completely blind to what other people are experiencing when they encounter us because we lack self-awareness. Now, psychologists have a matrix for this about ourselves. It's called the, the Jahari window. Uh, here it is. You know, there are some things in our lives that we know about ourselves and other people know too. And they're, they're open areas in our life. They're, they're there for all to see. Uh, and we know it as well. Good things, shortcomings. Then there are things in our lives that, that you know about yourself, but other people don't. Because you haven't shared it. It's, it's a hidden area in your life. You've kept it to yourself. Maybe it's appropriate to keep it to yourself. But hopefully there are things, people, you know, people in your life that you can be an open book to. But there are also other things about you that others know that you don't know about yourself. This is that area of your life that, that we would call a blind spot. You, you're, you're blind to it. That's, that's the you need a shower kind of information in, in my life. And there are also things in your life that you don't know. But likewise, other people also don't know. And so those are the unknown areas of your life that, that are there for you to discover about yourself, to help other people speak into your life, to, to affirm and bring to light what is in or who, what God's doing in your life. And so this is especially true of our hearts, of our inner life. So there are multiple places here in the Bible that, that are telling us that we need to be people who examine ourselves and develop this sense of spiritual self-awareness. This is why we're talking about examination. When is the last time that you sat down in, in some sense of quiet and you had a DNM with yourself? You just had a, a deep and meaningful moment and you just examined your life, your character, your behavior your thoughts, your temptations, your emotions, your pace, your priorities. So you might be, be swimming in this, this invisible ball of folly and spiritual danger. But if you never stop to take stock, never take a moment to, to stop and, and, and actually see what you smell like, we can be a, a very dangerous place. Examination. As we examine ourselves and grow in self-awareness, we're going to find out these things about ourselves, the hard things, the heavy things, but also the, the fruitful things, the good things. You see, examination in the Christian life isn't there for us to enter into some kind of state of, of morbid self-introspection. Now, the reason this is a spiritual discipline is because when we examine ourselves, we're meant to be driven to the God who made us, who is, is Lord of our life, who is King over us. And so the more we become aware of ourselves, the more we should become aware of, of God and His presence in our life. 16th century reformer and giant of church history, John Calvin, he started his most famous works, the Institutes, with this. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists entirely of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. 
You see, when we examine ourselves, we should be drawn up to see our need for God. And when we're drawn up to see our need for God, we get a clearer picture of who we are and where we stand. Is that loud for anybody? I'll I'll keep going. Uh, 19th century preacher Robert Murray McShane, he gave the advice, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because when we look at ourselves, we don't want to stay there. We want to start to examine Lord of our lives. That's what we know in the gospel. That the Christian life isn't primarily about you and about your performance. If examination was to, to end on yourself, it would no longer be a spiritual discipline. It would be a prison cell. We'd be stuck thinking about ourselves. Now, the Christian life is about Jesus. It's about his performance for you. That he alone has lived the perfect human life. And by God's grace, he offers you that perfect human life in place of your fallen, sinful life. And that he sacrificed himself upon the cross so that you might find yourself in him. As having him at the center of your life. And so because he's done that, you can now live for Jesus. You can now have your life wrapped up in his. And when you are living for Jesus, examining yourself actually becomes life-giving. Because what it is means, what you're doing is is realigning yourself with who Jesus wants you to be. Realigning yourself with the source of human flourishing. Realigning yourself with the vine in which you can bear fruit. And so we must examine ourselves. And we examine ourselves not to go hunting and gathering for sin, in our hearts only, but also so that we might see God's work for good in us, the way God has shaped us, the way God is blessing us, the way God is using us to minister to others. Just as Paul says to the, two Corinth- the, the Corinthians in his second letter to them, examine yourselves so that you might see that Jesus Christ is in you. And so yes, it will result in conviction and repentance, but also gratitude, praise, and glory to God. Earlier this year, we we journeyed through uh, the book of Joshua, and it's an incredible story, an incredible history there in the Old Testament. Uh, And there's a moment where where God's people, as they're they're kind of entering into the promised land, and they're conquering other peoples, they're they're led by Joshua, and they're very conscious of God's presence with them, and God's, God's power for them. And so they're winning every single battle. It's victory after victory after victory. And then... One of the people, Achan, he does something which should not be done. He, he takes for himself some of the devoted things, things devoted to destruction. When he does it, on the face of it, absolutely nothing changes. The people still go, go about their lives. The people still arm themselves up for war and they ready themselves for the next battle. But we're told that as they're preparing themselves for that battle and they're in the midst of it, there's no power because there's no presence. God tells Joshua, I will be with you no more unless you get the sin out of the camp. You see, there's nothing more horrible than to lose the presence of God. There's nothing more severe than for God to distance himself from you. And yet, praise God that in Jesus, we have the Emmanuel, which means God with us. We have Jesus with us. And even more than that, in the Holy Spirit who has been sent to us, we don't just have Jesus with us, we have God in us. 
And yet even knowing that reality, how often do we live conscious of God's presence with and in us in our daily lives? And therefore, how often do we live life going about our business and yet devoid of the strength and the power that God's presence is there for us? So this is why we need the discipline of examination and encouragement, that we might examine ourselves to be aware of who we are and and, and what is going on in us, and that we might be encouraged by God's presence with us as we're conscious of what He's doing in our life and how He's using us for His sake. Now, personally, there are uh, many challenges to finding the time and the priority of examination. First, there's cultural challenges, aren't there? We live in a performance-driven culture. Why why stop to examine the the slow, steady, silent work of uh, the spiritual side of of life? You've got work to do. You've got things to accomplish. You've got people to meet, goals to tick off. That dopamine hit is far less palpable sitting down, thinking about serious stuff, than getting out there, achieving things. We also live in a a very entertainment-driven culture. You know, sitting in line for hours to find Taylor Swift tickets makes common sense to our culture. And yet sitting down by yourself to think about what the creator of your life is doing, that feels intense. That feels serious. It feels boring. We live in this entertainment-driven... Give me the light stuff. Give me the, the, the entertaining stuff that might relieve me from my life that's already heavy already. There's also personal challenges, aren't there? We're busy people. Busy people with, with busy hearts. How can we find the time to stop and decompress and let alone think about that stuff that's going on in the background of our lives? Well, maybe it's because we're insecure and fearful people. We don't want to stop lest we have to face what is going on inside of us. And so there are many barriers to get in the way of examination. But that makes it all the more reason, doesn't it? Doesn't that just, just show us that, hey, Jesus is onto something here? That if this, this could be so countercultural, something where we're so prone to avoid or be distracted away from, maybe Jesus is onto something when he tells us that actually we should be spiritually self aware of where our souls are at. And so we need to grow in, in self awareness. We need to grow in spiritual self awareness of ourselves and of God's presence with us. So, how do we do that? Well, I just want to conclude with five quick things practical things that I think you should think about when we think about examining our heart and our soul. The first is that we should ask for God's help. And we get this from the Bible. David is a great example for us. The the, the Psalms themselves are little poems and songs and and prayers of people examining their hearts before God. But David in Psalm 39 says this, he says, search me, O God, And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What he's asking is for God to reveal myself to me. Search me. Open up my heart so that I might know what's going on inside of me. In John 14, just a chapter before the the chapter that really is is, is what this series is about, the vine uh, and the branches, in, in John 14, uh, Jesus is there talking with his disciples and he tells them he's going to have to go away. But he tells them that it's a good thing that I go because then the helper will come, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete is the word in Greek. And, and paraclete means helper or counselor. 
And so the reality is this, if you are in Jesus, you have a divine counsellor within you, there to help reveal to you what he's doing and what's going on in you. Normally we just call this conviction, that, that the Holy Spirit convicts us in our hearts of where we're at, convicts us of, of God's righteousness, our falling short, and yet the need for the gift of righteousness in Jesus. And so you have that within you to convict you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to expose you. And so ask God for help as you examine yourself. We should have moments in our day, if not our day, our week, if not our week, our month, where we think and ask God to search our hearts. Number two, we should, we should no- notice <coughs> our reactions. See, part of what's going on in us might be revealed by the circumstances around us and how we respond to those things that happen in our lives. And I know for me that, that sometimes things, things might happen and, and a big red flag goes up in my head because I'm triggered. And, and I'm responding in a way that is disproportionate to how I, should not, how I know I should be responding to this news or to this person or, or, or what it may be. That's why the, the Bible makes this big deal of, of the virtue of self-control. In the book of Titus, old men, young men, old women, young women, you should all be self-controlled. Everybody gets told you should be self-controlled. It's why it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. We should notice when we're prone to have a lack of self-control, when we're, when we're heightened, when we have an emotional response to something, we need to put that in the back of our minds and think, I'd, I'd better deal with that. I'd better think about that. Find a place and a space to think on that, to examine what's going on in our hearts that led to that. Number three, we should pick the fruit. As I mentioned, examination is not just about being a hunter-gatherer for sin, but a hunter-gatherer for spiritual fruit. Now, all of us, I know, have some measure of imposter syndrome. That is the, the, the thing within us that tells us that, that we're not quite good enough. We shouldn't quite be where we are. We don't quite have the skills or the experience. We're an imposter. But in reality, you should be encouraged. You know, the longer I've been a pastor, the, the more I know that we, 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 have, we have a famine of encouragement in our lives and particularly in the Christian life. God has made you in his image. God has gifted you. God has empowered you. And so some of us need to stop disrespecting God's creation by being a negative Nancy about ourselves. You need to see what God is doing in you, the gifts that he's given you, the good that he's working through you. And if not, take that as an encouragement to get on with God's great plan for your life because he has more for you. He has gifted you. You need to find that out. Maybe it's in one of those unknown quadrants in your life. But if you're getting good feedback, if you're getting appreciation, if you're getting pats on the back, you should own it. You should reflect on it. You should think about what God is doing through that. You should give him the glory for it. Stop to pick the fruit. Don't just examine the pain points, but also notice the wins. Pick the fruit. But to do that, that means, number four, you need to get honest and helpful friends. Honest and helpful friends. John Wesley, another giant of church history, he was a very influential itinerant speaker, said to have, have spoken 40,000 sermons in his life. You do the math, I'm not sure, but that's crazy. 40,000 sermons. His brother, Charles Wesley, famously wrote 6,500 hymns. Very influential, both of them uh, in the church today. And they went on to start the Methodist Church uh, 
But their influence and ministry, it stems from the seeds of their own personal holiness. And their own personal holiness stems from this group that they had in university. It was called the Holy Club. Sounds super fun, but the, the Holy Club. And so there were about, there were about six or, or eight guys, and they'd, they'd get together uh, daily, if not weekly. Essentially, you know, one of the very early gospel communities in, at Oxford. And they'd ask each other questions. And you can find those questions online. I did. Some of them are this. First question, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Am I enjoying prayer? Do I pray about the money I spend? Is Christ real to me? There's 22 questions like that. And so do you have anyone in your life that you could ask those questions of about you? Do you have anyone in your life that you can share in together? the answers to those questions. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a gospel community. Maybe it's a spiritual mentor or director. Get some honest and helpful friends. It can be a a safe space for confession, repentance, but also for building each other up. Perhaps even better, be one of those honest and helpful friends to the people in your life to encourage them, to build them up. Finally, One historical way to examine yourself is to pray the prayer of examine. This is a historical prayer started in the the 16th century with Ignatius. And it's all about reflecting upon and making ourselves aware of God's presence in our life and what he's doing in us. And so typically it would be prayed at the end of the day, heading into bed. You've got five minutes before you go uh, officially to sleep, head on the pillow. You do five things. First is you just remind yourself that God is with you. Become aware of God's presence with you. Secondly, you pray for grace to understand how God is currently at work in your life. Where was he in the day? What was he doing? Third, you review your day. Look for all the highlights. What can you give thanks for? Fourthly, you pay attention to how you responded to what was going on in the day and where God fitted in to your response. And fifth, you look forward to tomorrow in prayer, asking God to meet you there that you might collaborate with him on his plan for using you in the world. That'd take about five minutes. A five-minute discipline to become more aware of where your heart is at. And as I close, the, the last thing related to examination is doing it together around the Lord's table, a communion. And we're going to do that now. I know here and even in Wollongong, you're doing that as well. But in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he gives them this encouragement as well. There's this unity in the church. Some people are drinking too much. Other people aren't getting any. Some people are feasting. Other people are in famine. There's this unity. And Paul says this. He says, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He actually goes on to say that that if we judged ourselves truly, then we wouldn't be judged. In other words, that that God is using our circumstances to try to get us to stop and deal with what's going on in us, to examine ourselves, to wake us up, to be more self-aware of what he's doing in our lives. And so communion provides provides us that that opportunity to to have this this holy moment where we come before God with with our hearts wide open, asking him to reveal 
what is going on in us. And it's a moment to come back to the basis upon which we get to open our hearts to him at all. See, the discipline of examination isn't like the exams you took in school where you know, you've got to work hard, study hard. Hopefully, if you do your best, you might get a passing mark. No, the discipline of examination is a gift that we might bring what's in the dark out into the light. The basis of our relationship with God, our communion with Him, is not our worthiness, but as communion reminds us, it's His body and His blood. God has opened up His heart so wide to you that he has sent his one and only son to you to live for you, die for you, and rise again. God's love for you is so powerful that whatever might come out of a a moment of examination, nothing can separate you from God's love. No failure, no person, no circumstance, no darkness. God's love is that powerful for you. And when we know that, it frees us to be honest. It frees us to be humble. It frees us to bring our real selves to him. And so both here and in Wollongong, I'm going to take communion. So I'm going to land the plane on the sermon by praying, and then I'll, I'll lead us here in communion. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, we come before you now, and we just want to acknowledge your presence with us. God, you are here. You are present. You are Lord of all the earth, including this service and this space right now. And so Lord, would you forgive us for the layers that we put on our lives that distract us from what in essence our life is before you. And that is that we are your creatures. We are living our life before you, with you at work in us and around us. And so, Lord, like David, we say, search us, O God, and know our thoughts. Know our hearts. And even now, would you reveal to us any grievous way within us? Lord, all those grievous things, we bring them to you. We praise you for the ways that you are using each one of us in your kingdom. Using us to to encourage others, using us to fuel the gospel, using us to shine for Jesus, using us to, to bear fruit in your name. And we ask now, Lord, that you would bear the fruit of examination in our lives, that you might help us examine ourselves more regularly, to see your hand at work, to see our need for your grace and to find in Jesus grace upon grace. Lord, we come to the cross in any moment of communion and we come to the cross right now. And we come not trusting in our own righteousness, but rather in your great mercy. Bless us with your presence all the more. Bless us with the big Jesus in our lives who isn't cut off from the everyday realities of our walk before you, but is there with us in it grow us to be fruitful branches connected to the vine. Grow us to be fruitful branches connected to our King, King Jesus. It's in His beautiful name that we prayed. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, 
please visit cityonahill.com.au.